At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Our second reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of, this, of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, Jimmy. Some time ago when I was working in the Brisbane Diocese, we went to a clergy conference and the guy who was speaking at the conference, I had a chat with him afterwards because I didn't quite agree with what he was saying and he said to me that Christians and Muslims believe in the same God and they're both going to heaven. And he said it's like Christians are going to heaven on a diesel engine and Muslims are going to heaven on a petrol engine. And there's the difference. As we think about living in a post-Christian world, sometimes the opposition actually comes from within the church. Yes, sometimes we have um, the society who, who takes no notice of us or who ridicules us for Christians or who discount anything that we might say, and that's hard enough. But how dangerous is it when... Um, people within the church have become post-Christian and still speak as if they were Christians and teach falsehood and heresy. We're looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians and that's the situation that they are in. If you were here last week, um, you heard, as Jimmy gave us the introduction, that Paul 
had not been to Colossae himself, but he was in Ephesus for nearly three years and a large part of that time he had a rented hall uh, where he spoke about Jesus. People could come, it was like a lecture theatre. They could come, they could ask questions, discuss things and many people uh, became Christians over those years because Ephesus was a, a central trade city on the coast. 150 k's east is a, a smaller city uh, called Colossae and there's a guy named Epaphras who was in Ephesus, he was a, a Colossian, he was in Ephesus with Paul, heard about Jesus, became a believer, went back to his hometown in Colossae and couldn't help but share the good news that, that he had received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. He received the gospel, he passed that gospel message on to others and a little fledgling church started. Uh, it's probably somewhere you know, 10 years or more later that Epaphras realises that there are forces within the church who are preaching another gospel, who are preaching Jesus plus. And he wants to address that. So what does he do? He doesn't go to four years worth of Bible college and, you know, he writes to the heavies. He writes to Paul. And Paul returns a letter which he writes to the whole church. As we look at this letter, it, it, didn't, it didn't just come out of the air. It's not like Paul just said, I've got a few good ideas that I want to put on paper and I'll send them to the Colossians. This letter has come out of that context. And if we understand that context, as we go through the letter, we'll see that there are various things that, that Paul points out that were issues. And that knowing the context helps us to understand what the issues were and how we can actually address them today. So as we um, dive in, if you like, to the book of Colossians, if you've got your Bibles open, if you turn the page to chapter 2, verse 6, this is actually the, the kind of nutshell, the, the hub of this letter. Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, so then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Simple but profound. Just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, so continue to live your lives for him. Remember how you came to faith in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Remember the good news of Jesus Christ that Epaphras taught you. Remember how you came to believe that this was for you, that Christ had died for you. Remember how you came to faith and what a difference that made in your life and continue on that firm foundation, continue to live in that way. Now you might say, well, that's, that's great to hear that, but sure, we, we kind of know that, you know, we should be keeping on going. As our in, in our Christian faith, but we need to be careful because, you know, it's easy for us to actually stray from the truth that we have, have first learned and uh, to move into adding things to the message. So a as we work our way through this, we're looking for those kind of markers. Now, the Apostle Paul introduces himself in the letter, says that he's a, an apostle 
somewhat important, one of, one of the few who were actually chosen by Jesus. And he says, and our brother Timothy. So he's putting himself as a great authority, but he's also putting himself as a brother. And Timothy hardly ever gets a mention, but the letter says, from Paul and from Timothy. And he says, and I'm writing to the holy and faithful in Colossae. So he is recognising that they are believers in Christ. And he says to them uh, in, in the uh, first couple of verses, from verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith, hope and love. We, we've heard that little trio before, haven't we? But there's a slight difference here. Paul says your, your faith and love spring from your Christian hope. When we talk about Christian hope, people think about heaven, right? That's, that's the future. And uh, we, when we use the word hope in our language, it's not a certainty. But in the, in the New Testament language, it was a certain hope. But it was off in the future. And some of those in Colossae were saying, well, how can we be sure of that? And their lives were not showing that. So Paul says, actually, if you don't have Christian hope, you're not going to have faith and love. And in fact, your Christian hope is not just a future hope. It is a present and current hope regardless of what others may say. It is a current hope because Christ is in heaven and he has fixed a place for us. So Christian hope is strong enough to revive faith and love. Things that the Colossians needed to be reminded of, Paul commends them for that, but they need to continue to do that and to, to, to act in that way. So you can feel secure in your Christian hope, says Paul. You see, the security of that hope does not rest upon you and upon your actions. It rests upon what Christ has done. Just as Epaphras uh, spoke the gospel to you, this is the same gospel, he says in verse 5, it's the same gospel that is producing fruit throughout the world. The gospel is a powerful agent for change. The message of Christ is bearing fruit all around the world. Now notice that Paul commends them for their, their uh, faith and love based on hope. He doesn't say, and you have caused the gospel to, to bear fruit all around the world. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle and it's because of my work that the gospel is bearing fruit around the world. It is the gospel itself. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to salvation. And this is so encouraging, isn't it? It's not Epaphras, it's not Paul, it's not the Colossians, it's not you and me that, that I have to be the driving force to see the gospel uh, affect people's lives. It is the word of God that is powerful. He says, you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that, is, that has come to you. So in the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it came to you. Epaphras brought the message, but it is the word of God that has power, not Epaphras. Paul brings the message, 
but it is the word of God that has power, not the Apostle Paul. But amazingly, uh, this is spreading throughout the whole world as people like Paul and Epaphras and, and you and me and others who have heard and truly understand God's grace in the gospel are prepared to speak that to others. Now I want to ask you, do you actually have confidence in the message of Jesus Christ? The simple message of the gospel, of the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and our gift of new life. Do you have confidence in those simple truths or do you get in a situation where you think, oh, I couldn't say that, it sounds so lame. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. And it seems that those in Colossae were losing their confidence in the power of the gospel. So they were adding on things. So yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to worship angels, we'll hear. Or yes, you have believe in Jesus, but you also have to add to that special wisdom, special rituals special words of, of speech and a special experience. The, the word fullness gets mentioned again and again as if you can somehow as a Christian not be full, that you need to do something else to have the fullness of the Christian experience. And Paul keeps drawing them back to the gospel. Now I want to say that I think in our day and age, in our, in our churches, it's easy to make that same mistake, isn't it? We say we believe in the gospel, but we actually think that to be Christian is to do certain things. You have to have the right music if people are going to learn about Jesus Christ, if they come into our church. You have to have uh, you know, the right words to say, the right uh, the, the people. You, you need a, you know, a rock star to lead... To lead the worship, you need someone who is inter you know, an acclaimed speaker who is going to be much more effective. We add all these things. Now, I want to say there's nothing wrong with having our own rock star. Where's Maddie? <laughs> She's here. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, people can think the building is, is what we need. We need the message of Jesus plus the building, and then people will be saved. No, it, it, it's, we don't add things to the gospel. All these things are helpful to underpin our opportunities to share the gospel, but it is the word of God that's powerful. We don't have to dress it up or, or you know, add particular um, you know, things that are going to be, be a wow factor for people. We don't have to do anything except preach the word and have confidence in God's word. And we'll do that in a way that's appropriate to our culture. I'm, you know, we're, we're, I'm not having a, a go at those things that I've mentioned. We do that with the full understanding that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings people to faith. So, we, in a, in a nutshell, we just need to believe that God is at work in the gospel. Like, if I speak, God can even use my words. If you speak, God can even use your words. It's not a matter of, of how polished we might be. It's a matter of trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And, you know, I am often humbled in a sermon when someone comes to me and says, that was so encouraging when you said such and such. And you know what? I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't remember saying it anyway. But God actually uses words powerfully and will bring out, you know, his message if we are faithful to him. So living in a post-Christian world, whatever criticisms we receive from our culture of people saying Christian faith is outdated or, you know, can't believe that anymore, it's irrelevant, or worse still, it actually is doing danger and violence to people because of its, because of its wrong teaching. We hear all those kind of things. What do you do? What, how do you respond? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. We don't need, in a sense, to defend the gospel. We just need to proclaim the gospel. And God will do his work. Paul encourages the Colossians to stick with the foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ, to stay the course. And um, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? We too need to, need to stay the course. So how do we actually live? He's commended them for their faith, love, based on hope. He then says, I pray for you, and this is what I pray for you, and we can all uh, be encouraged by, by these words. They do tie in with what's happening in, the, in Colossae, but they can also be applied to us. He says in verses 9 and 10, he's praying that your life may be Sorry, that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. So if we, be, if we become followers of Jesus Christ, then that is our desire, to live a life worthy of him. And that is the life that God is going to use as we are the, the carriers of his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he actually says four things that he's actually uh, been praying for them that they would, would uh, continue to do. And he says, the life that is pleasing to the Lord uh, is one that bears fruit in every good work. We're in, we're in verse 10 and 11. Bearing fruit in every good work. Now, earlier Paul said that the fruit of the gospel is going out to the end of the world, and I said that that's because of the power of the word. What does he say here? That the person is, that we have to bear fruit. Well, we don't bear the fruit of conversion. But our lives, living by every good work, we are showing the, the, the reality of the fruit of the gospel. So as we live that life of, uh, of doing good, we make a difference. The power of the gospel brings salvation as people hear it, but it has to come through someone who is credible and someone who is living uh, by the power of the gospel. So bearing fruit in every good work means living the Christian life in, in all things. Living the Christian life, living a, a transformed life as we speak of a transforming message. Sadly, uh, this, is a, this is American studies, but I'm sure that we can take a little bit from it. The Bible literacy of uh, people going into Bible college in America, the actual Bible literature of people applying to study in Bible college is, is frightening to the point where people are asked, who came first, Abraham or 
Isaac. And 60% of people got it wrong. 60% of those who wanted to go and study the Bible, they needed to study the Bible. <laughs> That's right. But I think that goes to show that there's, it's not about learning Bible verses, but there's a sense in which we need to just know the Scriptures. Um, Paul comes to that. He says the next thing after bearing good fruit is growing in the knowledge of God. Notice how many times um, this idea of knowledge or wisdom or understanding is mentioned in verse 9 and verse 10. Pray for the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. Grow in the knowledge of God. In all, if we're going to uh, know God's word, we have to actually live by God's word. Because knowing means living. It's, an, it's not a head knowledge that, that the first century people are talking about here. It is a, a whole knowing, a whole person knowing. So we need to be able to live a Christian life that is a life of wisdom. We learn Bible truths and stuff here in church on Sunday and hopefully the preacher applies it and gives you things to do and you know, to grow at home. But how many of us uh, have got an integrated Christian worldview that uh, can cope with talking to people about what happens in everyday life. What I mean by that is, if someone were to say, well, you know, Christians are against same-sex marriage, how would you sensitively answer that question? If you haven't worked that out, then you haven't really got an integrated worldview because we have to be able to speak the truth in love into the circumstances that we live in. There are so many issues, aren't there? Uh, th there's not, not just uh, same-sex marriage, but there's euthanasia, there's immigration. Um, you know, we get into the political sphere in, in some of these areas. Um, there is politics, but the answer is not found in politics, but the discussion might be had in politics. How do we view the world? How do we explain to people how we use our time or our money? You see, if we're going to grow in the knowledge of God and, wis and the wisdom and understanding that he mentions here, it, it's not what we say in Bible study that counts. It's how we live and how we uh, show that wisdom of Christian faith in our day-to-day -day life. So to live a life pleasing to God, we will actually do good works. We will live the Christian life of faith so that we, people can see the, the fruit of changed lives. We will be growing in the knowledge and, and love of God with all wisdom and understanding. Thirdly, Paul says, we will be strengthened with power that gives great endurance and patience. The life that pleases God is a life that is, that is powerful, that is strengthened with the power of the gospel. What does that power consist of? It consists of a life of endurance and patience. You know the old prayer, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> <laughs> See, we need to persevere as Christians. We persevere with, with each other in terms of living the Christian life together. But we persevere, come what may, in our life circumstance. 
with patience and endurance because of the transforming work that, that Christ has brought within us. So living the life wor worthy of the Lord means having that inner spiritual strength of great endurance and patience. And finally, Paul says, this endurance and patience to, the, to giving thanks with joy. Giving thanks with joy. Paul does, uh, doesn't just list giving thanks on its own, but Christian faith leads to thanksgiving, doesn't it? Christian faith leads to thanksgiving because of our relationship with God. And joy springs from thanksgiving because if you're thankful, then you'll be joyful. And the joy of Christ is infectious, isn't it? It's not dependent on our circumstances. It doesn't mean that our life is going to be easy, but it means we are always conscious of the things that we give thanks to God for and that will show itself in our joy in the way that we conduct ourselves. So in a kind of roundabout way, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to tell you guys I'm praying for you that this will happen. I commend you as the saints. I'm praying that these things will be a part of your life that is a life that is acceptable and pleasing to God. See how gracious that is? Paul hasn't come in with a hammer and said, all you guys, you know, this is your problem. And he, he doesn't know the church. He hasn't been to the church. He's heard of some of the issues that are happening in the church. Many of them are good things where there is uh, you know, faith, love and hope showing itself through. And these things are good things that the Apostle Paul wants um, that church to bring out and things that, that we could very much benefit from in our own lives, aren't they? So the life that produces the fruit of Christian living, the life that is continually growing in the practical knowledge and wisdom of God, the life that shows endurance and patience as a reflection of our faith in Christ, and a life that results in joyful thanks to the Father for what he has done for us in Christ. That is the life, Paul says, that is pleasing to God. That is the life that is based on the foundation of the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the life that we need to stand firm on as we live in a post-Christian world, as we you know, have attacks from, from within and from without. Now, just to finish this off, there's one last observation I've made here which is so encouraging. And that is that Paul says he's praying this for them. But at, in the last two verses, 13 and 14, he actually says that he, he's praying that for himself. He's including himself in that salvation that has come through Jesus Christ. He says he's praying this and then he kind of breaks into a, a, a little summary, if you like, of the good news. And he says in verse 13 and 14, God the Father has rescued us. See, he uses us. He's been praying for you, and now he uses us. Paul is a part of this too. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, that is the, that is the, the, the foundation of the gospel message. Paul says it's happened to him too. He's been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's Son 
the kingdom in which we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And that, is that true for you? Is that true for you, that God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins? I know that it is true for most of us here because I've uh, talked to you about it and shared life with you over the, the years to see that is true. We need to live in it such a way that the world sees that is true. Are we prepared to do that? You can go. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that in, in your purposes and in your great wisdom and majesty that you empower the words that even we might speak, the words that tell of the rescue that Christ has brought upon us and the redemption and the forgiveness that he has brought upon us. So Lord, please use us from our firm foundation of our trust in you to live a life that brings honour and glory to your name and impacts the world as we see the gospel spread and bear fruit more and more. Amen.